Because it is Palm Sunday, we are taking a, really it'll be a two-week break because of Easter next week, um, although we'll be in Corinthians somewhat for Easter, but we're taking a break from going through uh, chapter by chapter the book of 1 Corinthians for the next two weeks. We'll pick it back up in two weeks, but today we're going to focus on Palm Sunday, and we'll talk plenty about what that is if that is an unfamiliar term to you. But I want to read um, one of the accounts of Palm Sunday in the scriptures, Luke uh, chapter 19, verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it, just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they sat Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives... The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace? But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, I ask this morning that we would, that you would help us put ourselves in the story this morning, this narrative that we just read, I pray that you would allow us to, to imagine ourselves there um, on the road as Jesus is coming into the city. And help us um, try to be honest with ourselves and how we would be receiving Jesus. Would we be a part of the crowds? What would we think when we heard the Pharisees tell Jesus to rebuke us along the road? And how would, this, um, how would this impact our life over the next week as we know the events that happen in the coming week? So help us put ourselves in the story. I pray through your word that um, our minds would be changed, the way we think would change, the way the, what we feel, what we desire would change. And as a result of those things, it would change the way we live. The way we live out your kingdom values, your kingdom ethic in the world we live in. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So, Palm Sunday. Um, I think one of, one of, my, one of my fears with, with Palm Sunday is that um, we kind of skip over it or we begin thinking about Good Friday and Easter and our minds start focusing there when that's just closer and this just kind of becomes set aside um, on um, the date that we remember this, the church calendar. And 
um, I think it's important for us to stop, not rush ahead, and really think about what is happening on this Sunday. What is happening when Jesus um, is coming down that road, entering the city? And I think if we don't understand what Jesus is doing and how the people in the story respond, I think um, we're not going to, we're going to miss an important aspect of the gospel heading into Good Friday and heading into Easter. So it's important to, to try to understand um, why this is such a big deal. And really, churches throughout the centuries, especially those who observe a church calendar, um, would um, definitely see this as an important day in the life of a follower of Jesus and the life of a church. Now, those of you maybe in this room that didn't grow up in church, maybe you know a little bit about um, um, Good Friday and Easter. If that's, if that's true, then you probably know nothing about Palm Sunday, and that's okay. It's okay. Uh, but I want you this morning to just think about, try to put yourself in there, and this really gives you a chance to see who Jesus really is, because we see a lot of who Jesus is just wrapped up in the verses we read um, just a minute ago. And what I think this does, what, what uh, Palm Sunday does, is it forces us to answer a really uncomfortable question that I think we all must ask. And here's the question. What kind of king is Jesus to me? Or um, if I'm going to call Jesus king, what impact does that actually have in my life? Right? We, we say that word a lot because theologically we know that's true, but I want us this morning to really think about what does it mean that Jesus is called king in our faith? What are the implications for our Christian life if that is true? So let's go ahead. I want to go back through the, the passage here and just stop a few times and talk about what's happening. Verse 28, and we had, when he had said these things, he went ahead going up to Jerusalem. Okay, so here's kind of the big turning point the Passion Week, everything starts right here. Okay, This is kind of the first domino that happens. When he drew near, so they're going down the road, when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples. So kind of give you some geography here. So um, Bethany is about, from, from the gates of, uh, from Bethany to the gates of Jerusalem, it's about two miles, maybe a little bit less, but about a two-mile walk from Bethany to Jerusalem, okay? So not, not, a, not a long walk, for, especially for people in that day, okay? So fairly short distance. And then he stops. And here in verse 30, he, go, he, say, he sends two of his disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them, and as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. Now this is a, when people would have heard this, they would have remembered a prophecy from the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah 9.9 says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Okay, so this prophecy written hundreds of years before this event 
would happen uh, comes to fulfillment right here. Okay, this is where this prophecy comes to fulfillment. So the first kind of idea that we need to grasp with this story is that Jesus is the true king. He is acting like a king. Now, a little bit different than a normal king, but yet he is still has all the kind of the trappings of a king as he is preparing to enter into Jerusalem. He's the Messiah. He's the son of David, the long-awaited ruler of Israel to fulfill all of God's promises. But there's a misunderstanding that we're going to see. There's a misunderstanding of who Jesus really is and how he's bringing in his kingdom. Let's keep going. Verse 36. And as he rode along, um, they spread their cloaks on the road. One thing about the, the colt, because so he's riding the colt now. He's riding this donkey. And, and those of you who've been around animals, especially animals that you ride, um, if an animal has never been ridden before and somebody just gets on it, what's going to happen? That animal's going to go nuts because the animal's never had someone that weight on its back carrying it. But this, this donkey has never been ridden, yet Jesus gets on the donkey and begins to ride it. There's a, that's a detail we often miss. I know I, I miss for a long time. There's something about the meekness, the humility of Jesus when he gets on that donkey. That donkey seems to think it's, everything's going to be okay. And Jesus is God, right? He actually is the one who had a part in creating that donkey. So he should know that donkey above everything else. Then it says, verse 37, as he was drawing near, already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples, that's key, they're disciples. So these were disciples, right? People that had been following Jesus for some length of time. They were the ones on the road, um, began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now that quote there at the end of that verse is directly from Psalm 118, from Psalm 118. And this is a, uh, was, a, was a messianic psalm that the, the uh, people of God would sing to get ready and to prepare themselves for the coming of the Messiah one day. So once again, they, they knew this, right? They, they, ex- they, were, they were waiting, they expected it, and they had that psalm ready to go to, to sing to Jesus as he was entering the city. And then verse 39, and this is where this story kind of like kind of uh, screeches to a halt. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Um, and this would have been loud enough, Jesus responds to them. So even over the crowds, Jesus thought it was important enough to respond to uh, the things the Pharisees said here. Okay, so it definitely was loud enough, and it definitely was enough of the Pharisees to get Jesus' attention. So what was their problem? What was the problem for them, right? Why did he want Jesus to rebuke their, the, his disciples? Was it the branches and the coats that were lining the road? No, that wasn't why they were worked up. Uh, was it Jesus' claim that he was bringing salvation? Uh, not even that, really. That, that, that wasn't even it necessary. The problem was the way of salvation and the kind of salvation Jesus is bringing. This is the primary issue that the Pharisees had with Jesus, especially in this moment. So he was the true king. We see that. But it was, he was not the kind of king or the one they expected. If you remember, the people, that they were, they were oppressed by the Roman Empire. They wanted salvation and success 
which for them meant they, went to, they wanted the Messiah to, to march into the city and do some hard business with the Roman um, government in that moment. Right? They, wanted to, they wanted to be out from under this Gentile oppression, even by force if it was necessary. So if Jesus needed to bring military might to, to clear out the Romans from their home, Jerusalem, they were all about it. They were all about it. And remember, these were people who remembered the plagues. When, when, when the, the, the people of God were in Egypt and God judged Pharaoh over and over with these plagues to get his attention, to get um, his people to, to, to let them go, right? And they, he split the sea apart for them. This is in the back of their minds. They're waiting for this kind of power for Jesus to show up and do business and get rid of the Romans, to expel them from their homeland. But we know that's not what happened. And Jesus didn't fit into uh, their, their categories of what a king is. And even till today, Jesus still doesn't fit into the categories that we often have in our world for what a king is, what royalty is. Jesus brings together both majesty and meekness, both power and humility perfectly as a king. And this is what sets him apart um, the, the, so many qualities when we look at Jesus and see him uh, live his life, we see these two things that normally shouldn't, be, shouldn't fit together. Like we usually think of people being either this or this, but not both of them. In Jesus, we find infinite majesty yet complete humility. Perfect justice yet boundless grace. Absolute sovereignty yet utter submission. All sufficiency in himself yet entire trust and dependence on God the Father. And Jesus holds these two things together, these two things that we often think as opposites together perfectly in his character. Pastor David Mathis says this about Jesus in this moment. No, here is a Nazarene, a backwater purported to have been conceived in shame, a common laborer by trade, riding not on a noble steed, um, but the colt of a donkey. He comes not to brandish his sword and demonstrate his quality for the popular expectations, but to give his own neck to the knife and display his meekness in uncompromised sacrifice. He comes not to kill, but to be killed, accompanied not by generals and soldiers, but twelve bumbling companions, one of whom will betray him, another of whom will deny him, and all of whom will scatter when the real conflagration begins. Okay, this is the kind of king that Jesus comes as. And that's what Pastor Mathis is saying there. So he was the true king, but he was weak in their eyes. He wasn't what they imagined. He wasn't going to give them what they wanted. They wanted a king that would do some things for them, change their life in a certain way. He was meek, but not weak. He was a humble, he was a high and humble king, as the song says. And then this is how Jesus responds, verse 40. He answers the Pharisees, I tell you, if these, talking about his disciples, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. The stones would cry out. Why? Because Jesus is designed, he's created for praise. The whole universe is held together by Jesus. God has given his son that authority and power. And so the creation will praise him. He's saying, if people don't do it, if humans don't praise me, Creation will praise me. I will get praise for something, even if it is creations. The rocks will do it. He is sovereign. He will get what he wants. God will give that to him. 
If we refuse to praise Jesus, the rocks will get the joy of praising him. And we see this in Romans 8. Um, Romans 8 tells us, uh, explains to us that nature is groaning. Like even, even nature is awaiting the redemption of the world when Jesus returns. Like creation's groaning in expectation waiting for that. A lot of the Psalms uh, talk about nature, and you have this idea of trees clapping their hands and mountains clapping their hands in the Psalms. So this shouldn't be a, a kind of a, a foreign concept to us, that if humans won't praise and honor Jesus, creation will. That's what kind of king and the power that he has. So what's that, what does this have to do with us? Number one, like what, what does this matter to us, especially in light of the cross and the resurrection, which are coming up in the narrative? So let's, think, let's remember what's happening here. The, the crowd is made up of his disciples, right? And they're excited. They believe at this moment that something good is happening, right? Like, like they're probably a little bit confused because they're like, now wait a minute, like what? Like why, like, why the donkey? Why not like this beautiful white war horse that Jesus should come in? Like, why the, like, like they, they're probably feeling the tone here that it's not quite what they expected, but yet he's still coming into the city, and there's still people excited for him to come in. But this same crowd that is chanting and cheering him on here um, will, will, will scatter, and be dispersed a few days later once the Pharisees start yelling, crucify him. And he's on trial. So one day they're cheering. The, the, the next few days they're cowering away in fear and, and unbelief. And as we, as we see this, we need to be careful not to pass judgment too quick on them. right? And that's why I say let's put ourselves in that situation. How would we have reacted? This powerful religious elite behind us is saying, rebuke them. This isn't right. And they know that if they associate themselves with him, then they may be um, in trouble as well once he goes to trial. And I think this should uh, give us pause, maybe even scare us a bit, because we could be that crowd. We could be that crowd. We are prone to be the cowards in the crowd or the, 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 the blind, or have the blindness of the Pharisees who were the ones who were yelling, crucify him. We're capable of both. As, John, as Pastor Jonathan Parnell says, he says, if we know our hearts apart from grace, if we could listen in on this crowd, we'd hear our shouts along with theirs. We'd hear our praise hollow as it were, and then by Friday, ashamed, we'd hear our mocking voice call out among the scoffers. We noticed that line, some of you, from the song. But this is good news, right? So it's important for us to, to know that we could be in this crowd, but there is good news because it is not the righteous, after all, that Jesus has come to save, but the sinners. Sinners like us. People who have turned their back on Jesus, right? Um, and one of the ways our sin shows up is thinking that we don't need a king, that we don't need a king, right, in our day and age. Like we, don't, we don't love the idea of authority. We don't love the idea of having a king in our lives. And up until really the last 200 years or so, um, the history, in the history of the world, people tended to put their hope, their primary hope, in kings and the monarchy. And one of the first countries or peoples to, to kind of buck this was the United States. When we said, nope, we're not going to be under King George anymore. We're going to do our own thing. 
We're going to be our own people. We don't need a king overseeing us, especially from afar. This is, we were one of the first countries to say we don't need a king. And so we, 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 don't, we kind of act like we don't want that authority, and we don't have any interest in um, kings or monarchy, even though we have this weird, crazy obsession with the British monarchy, right? Like we can't stop talking about them, right? Um, I don't know what it is, right? We don't, want, we don't want a king, but we love them when they're like on social media, the tabloids, so we can like, I don't know, vicariously live our lives through them. I don't, I've never, I don't understand that. Um, but we still have this, this obsession with them, even though we don't want to be under their ruling. And here's the deal. Like back when, when, we, when there were kings, more kings that were ruling, um, the benefit of submitting yourself to a political king was that in, in exchange for your uh, submissiveness and obedience, you received the benefits of the king's power. Food, water, shelter, uh, protection, the basic things to survive. But you also got a sense of identity, a sense of worth, safety, like things are going to be okay, comfort. Um, but in today's world, most people, um, most of us even think like we don't need a king. We don't need someone in our lives that actually guide us and lead us and have authority over us. We think we can kind of handle things on our own, that we have control of the situations around us and even control of our own lives. But if anything, the last year should have taught us that we don't have control. Like we don't have control of our lives, most of it, um, and we don't have control of the situations around us. And that's why I think, especially in our country, the last year has been really, really difficult because things have felt outside of our control. The future has been unknown. What's going to happen next? And that drives us crazy. A lot of us walk around with the fear of losing control all the time. That's the way we structure our lives, to always be in control. But I think deep down we know that this control is nothing but an illusion. We are afraid of losing authority, but we've already lost it. We are not in control. You see, people and things control us, right? We naturally want to give ourselves to, to a king, right? Not necessarily a person, a monarch, um, but we are, going to, we are going to submit ourselves to a king somewhere or somehow, so the question for us is, are we going to follow Jesus as king or merely kind of use him as an advisor, someone who, like, we, we, we can grab their, um, grab their wisdom, we need him when we really, we, we, we have him if we need him, but we're really going to give our allegiance to something else. We're really going to give our lives to another king, and we kind of keep Jesus there in case we need him. Here's some examples um, that I mean, I, hopefully one of these will resonate with us. Um, we, we, we are prone to find people who we admire and will do anything to gain their attention or approval. They become our king. We can call ourselves a Christian, and we like that label because it does some things for us, but our political party or political agenda is what really controls us, and what really gives us our identity and has our allegiance. We find a group that we want to be associated with, and we'll sacrifice things to get their acceptance. We just want to be a part of this group or this crowd. We make a certain rung on the career ladder, our king, and we will give unhealthy amounts of time and energy to making that become a reality because our career has become king. Rather than pledging our service to a king and our attention to King Jesus, we pledge our love and attention to athletes or movie stars or internet sensations and making them kings of our own lives. 
putting them on the throne that they don't have any uh, place to be on. They, they don't deserve to be there. So kings are savior-like figures. We see this in literature and in fantasy, right? Like the, these idea of kings and queens and monarchs, we're still, we're still uh, um, entertained by that. We like the idea of that because there's this idea of, of having a hero, having a savior-like figure in these stories. People will look to something or someone to save them. And if we were honest with ourselves, here's the bad news. If we were honest with ourselves, the things that we serve or crown as kings in our lives, they are at best powerless, and at worst, they begin to oppress us. They begin to oppress us. They begin to enslave us. Why? Because they were never meant to hold up under the weight of our affection, of our allegiance. Only one king can do that, and that is Jesus. If we put our faith and trust in something or someone else, it will fail us, and it often enslaves us. But, G- but the good news is that Jesus redeems us by dying for our sins. He, doesn't, um, he, he, he gives his life for us. He doesn't just demand allegiance. He actually gives up his life for us. No master or other king can or will ever be able to do that. So how does he become our king? Let's keep reading. Verse 41. Think of, um, again, kind of put yourself like you're right, standing right next to Jesus. He's entering. He's about to enter the city. It says, when he drew near and saw the city. So he's, he's outside the gate still, but he's close enough to kind of have a view of Jerusalem. And it says he wept over it. He wept over it, um, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. He knows what's going to happen. He knows he's going to be denied. He's no, he knows he's going to be left by everyone. He knows he's going to suffer a horrific death on the cross right now. He knows that, but he, he's still, he, he's mourning. He's sad. He, 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 uh, his, 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 this mercy of Jesus overflows, and he begins to cry. He begins to cry for the sake of the city and the souls within that city because they don't have a clue. They're like a sheep without a shepherd. They're, they're putting their investment and they're giving their allegiance to something else, and it breaks Jesus' heart. He has sorrow for the situation. He has so much mercy and so much sorrow that he knows that he is walking through those gates and in a few days will die. He tells the disciples in Luke 18, a, few, a chapter before, he tells them that uh, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered up and they will kill him. He knows. He tells them it's coming. And Jesus gives us the model of self-denial. This, way, this is what it looks like to give your life up. This is what it looks like to love other people, even those who want nothing to do with you, okay? Now, for us, how do we respond? How do we respond to this, right? Um, here in this moment, in our time, I think there's three ways, and I think we need to respond in all three of these ways, and here they are in order. Um, number one, the way Jesus becomes your king is to become weak and admit that you need him to be your king. Right? It's, it's weakness. It's confession of need. It's becoming um, humble before him and saying, I can't be my own God. I can't f- be my own king. There are no other kings that will satisfy me. I am weak and I am prone to chase after these other things. Jesus, I need you to be my king. Help me. Come into my life. And if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus today, 
This is how you become a follower of Jesus, right? It's about surrendering your life and admitting that you are not a king. And the kings you've been chasing after are not satisfying you. And you believe that Jesus is the Savior. Listen to Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. This is becoming one of my favorite passages in all the scriptures. Again, this is the posture of Jesus. Okay, this is the kind of king he is. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And what we can't miss there is, again, these two, these two characteristics of Jesus coming together. Because one, it's clear that he, he says, I am gentle and lowly. Like That's who I am. I'm, I'm humble. I'm someone that you can trust. I'm someone that you can come to to find rest. But he also tells us to put his yoke on us. Right? He doesn't say, hey, just come to me, and then you can kind of like go away whenever you want to and kind of do your own thing, or hey, come to me when you need it, but when you don't need it, you can kind of go off. No, he says, come to me and take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am just... So the, 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 the prerequisite is to take Jesus' yoke upon us. What does a yoke do to oxen? It controls them, right? And he says his yoke is gentle, Right? It's, not, it's not harsh, it's a gentle yoke that controls us and guides us and leads us into the paths of freedom and joy. And he does this in a gentle and lowly way. So again, that's king language, right? Come under me, give your life to me, submit your life to me, give me your allegiance, and I entrust me as the gentle and lowly king that will lead you. Okay, so we need to give our life to him. We need to surrender. And maybe if you're a follower of Jesus in here this morning, maybe you need to do that kind of in, in a new way this morning. Maybe you've kind of given your allegiance to other kings, to other ideas, and you need to come back and, and kind of recommit your um, allegiance to King Jesus. The second thing we do is worship him. We worship him. Um, they praised him. Right? Even though they were confused, they didn't really know what was going on, they still praised him and they sang to him because they, they, there was at least their vision of a king at that time, they were worshiping for that. Think of the way we do what we do on Sundays, right? This is the only place in a, in a structured way that we have music in, in church life. Why do we have music? Because music kind of gets underneath our minds and it kind of works itself down in a deeper place. Those of you who love music and are musicians, you know why that is. Or you would just read lyrics, right? That's, you know, if, if, if it was just about the lyrics of songs, they would just publish PDFs of lyrics and you would read them. But no, that sounds weird, right? No, you put music to them because it affects us in a different way. When I stand up here to preach or whoever preaches, we're not giving a lecture. We're preaching, right? Giving a lecture, I would, I would be a little bit longer. I would make sure that there's probably more information, making sure you understand it a little bit more, maybe some question and answers. But this is, a, this is a sermon. I'm preaching, and I'm trying to not only connect with your mind, but trying to get down into your heart and your soul and your desires and that, that, that center of operation for you as a person. That's what we're trying to, to kind of touch in this environment, because we're trying to get you to worship Jesus. We're trying to put Jesus out there in such a way that you'll respond in worship. Get to something deep, the things we desire, our imaginations. What do we daydream about? Okay, so we, 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 we surrender to him, we worship him, and third, uh, we obey him. 
We obey him as king. And it's fun, one little detail in this story, um, when they ask about uh, his disciples go ahead to grab the colt, the donkey, and the guy that they're borrowing it from, they're like, what are you doing, right? And, and they don't give him a reason why. They just said, oh, the Lord needs it, right? It's like, they don't know why. They don't know what this is for, what's about to happen. Jesus says, hey, go do this. And they, you see them, they just go do it. They're just following Jesus because he's king, right? And they trust him. He's like, we're going to go do this. And, and when they're asked, hey, what's going on here by this, in, in a rightful way, right? The guy's like, why are you taking my donkey? And they're like, I don't know, Jesus needs it. So that's, that, I don't know why, but that's what we're doing, right? There's this, you can see this allegiance behind the disciples even in that moment. It's like, this isn't the best parenting strategy, but when, your kid, when you ask your kid to do something over and over and over, and they don't, and they, or they say, why, right? It's, love the word why, right? I have a five-year-old, right? Why? Um, and you just say, because I said so right? Or because we said so, you, like, you lose your patience, right? Not good parenting to say that. But ultimately, what we're trying to get out of there is, is, I am older than you. I know what's best for you. Not everything that I say, tell you to do, I need to have a, some kind of treaties to tell you why I'm doing it, right? Just trust me because I'm your mom or dad, right? This is the same thing. Like, if, if you only obey after understanding every nuance of, in answering every question, that's just agreement. That's not obedience, that's agreeing with someone, and then you obey based off of agreement. Obedience, there's some level of not needing to know everything and willing to follow a person because of just who they are and your trust for them. Jesus is our king. He's not our consultant, okay? So um, we, we, get, we surrender, we worship, and we obey. And that's a great, like, if you just think through your life and and. and Take inventory of how you're doing in your walk with Jesus. Those are three good categories to think about in, in how are you doing in making him your king. So I want to close with this. I want to make sure we're clear on, on this. Um, it, the events of the next week, um, if the events of this next week are true, there are only two choices for us to make. Okay, This week that lays before us on the church calendar, Good Friday, Easter, everything in between, two choices we can make. He, 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 he is our king or he is not, right? He's our king or he's not. Um, Jesus will not share your love with another king, with another master. He will not. Jesus will not do that. You could sum up Jesus' teaching in, in, in really in the scriptures with the saying, I will be in your life as king or not at all. This is what it means by calling him Lord. So my desire is that we would make him our king, that we would, we would, we would wrestle with, are we, are we making him our king? What, who would we be? Are we be the crowd? Would we be the Pharisees? Would we be going after something else? Let's make him our king and live like we belong to his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, um, I thank you for um, your word in, in, in which we get to really understand um, what happened there in the week leading up to um, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And I pray that we would remember that it just didn't jump from Jesus doing ministry to um, his death, to Good Friday. That there's this buildup, that there's this, this idea of Jesus coming into the city as a king this procession that is happening. 
but it wouldn't be a procession to take over the city in the way that the disciples hoped. It would be a procession to death on Friday. So I pray this week that we wouldn't forget about this. We wouldn't just go on about our business this week, that we would allow the events of the week as they are laid out to, to, uh, to move us, to challenge us, to help us grow. So when we come to Good Friday and we're thinking about the cross, we'll have background and we'll have understanding um, like Palm Sunday and the arrest and the, the, the time he has with his disciples here at the end. Help us understand these things. And help us through your spirit um, to make you our king. Not just in name, but actually with our lives. And it's in your son's name, the king, we pray. Amen.